open your Bibles to the book of Romans, chapter 6. Continuing through the book of Romans, a little reminder. Last week, we concluded the chapter by contrasting the first Adam with Jesus Christ, who is the last Adam. How because of the first Adam's sin, came into the world, we talked about our, what's called the Adamic nature, meaning our fallen nature that needs to be redeemed, needs to be bought back, needs to be changed. That we are naturally sinful. But the last Adam, Jesus Christ, much more compensated for what the first Adam did. And that just as by one man sin entered into the world, by the last Adam, by Jesus Christ, we have opportunity out of that nature. And that's where we're picking up here in chapter 6. As Paul would say, so death entered by him, how much more now eternal life through Jesus Christ? And then he asks the question, he says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can you live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Paul starts off doing this duplicity thing where he asks a question and then answers it. We, we talked about how this is a means of answering the questions that people might have in their mind. And, and this is a great question because this is something that we're constantly confronted with. Whenever God does an amazing work of grace, there is the potential for that work of grace to just become something that, well, it doesn't matter. God doesn't care how we live. He's being so gracious, gracious to us. I can go ahead and sin. It's not a big deal. God doesn't care. And that's the argument. They're saying, well, this grace, we're not under the law. We're being justified by faith. So is it okay to sin? That way grace will just abound. Who cares then if you sin? Shall we continue to live in sin so that grace can abound? He says, by no means. Some translations will say, God forbid. It's like, how can you think that? And he's going to proceed to give us a reason why we shouldn't go there mentally. Why we shouldn't think about these things. How it affects our life. And this isn't the first time that Paul has brought up this kind of a, an argument. He did it in chapter 3 as well when he talked about judgment. Chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, he said, But if our unrighteousness brings about God's righteousness more clearly, what shall we say? That God is unjust and bringing a wrath on us? Saying, well, if God has, you know, proven his righteousness by the unrighteousness of people, how can he judge us? And it's like, you're not thinking right. And it's the same kind of thinking. Well, shall I continue in sin that grace might abound? No, God forbid. How can you think that way? And he gives the reason, by no means, we died to sin. 
how can we live in it any longer? Notice that died is past tense. This is something that has happened. You have died. It is a done product. It marks a conversion. It marks a point in your life when that life, that old life that was under the nature of Adam was over. And this new life in Christ started. And he marks it by death. I don't think there's anything that gets us so final as death. When you talk about death, you're talking about over. Done. Finito. And you see, if you've died, it marks, that means that is over. And his point is to mark that this is a demarcation of your life. You died. You can't go on living in sin if you've already died to it. You can't continue in something that you are dead to. He goes on and he says, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too might live a new life. Now the word baptism here, it, it means immersion. But it's not just a water baptism that he's talking about. He's actually talking here about a, a baptism of the will. And, and he says, don't you know? And, and the answer is this is, well, you, you kind of should know. You should know this. It's like when you tell your kids, don't you know what time it is when it's time to go to bed? They usually do, but they pretend they don't. No, what time is it? You know, no, why? You know, well, it, it's, you know, whatever time. It's 8 o'clock, 10 o'clock, depending what kids you have. <laughs> One in the morning, four in the morning, please go to bed. Don't you know what time it is? And depending on the age of the kid, they should have a grasp of those things. And it's like Paul saying, don't you understand this concept? And then he talks about the baptism. And I want to show you that the baptism is more than just the dunking of water. It includes that, but it's more than that. If you turn with me to Mark's Gospel, chapter 10. Verse 37 and 38. Or let's take it up with verse 35, actually. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said. Now, I love this because Matthew's gospel, it says that their mom prompted them. I just think that's so fitting for all you moms here. I, I could just see, you know, it's, it says in Matthew's gospel that the mom led them. I could see her walking with the boys, you know, come on, we got to go talk to Jesus. You know, you won't take care of this yourself, so I'll do it for you. You know, okay, now go, go before Jesus now. Sorry, moms, but that's just how you are. Um, then Jesus and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Oh, that's it. You're, you're doing it. <laughs> Being the mom. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. 
what do you want me to do for you? Just think about that. Jesus, we want you to do whatever we ask. Okay. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? He's not speaking of the water baptism. He's speaking of the work that he needs to do for God. He's speaking of the cross. He goes, are you going to be able to take the cup that I'm taking or be baptized, immersed in this ministry that I am immersed in? Go with me to the right a little bit. Let's go to Luke's Gospel, chapter 12, verse 49. We'll see another instance. Luke chapter 12. Starting at verse 49, he says, I have come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo. Remember, this is after he's been baptized by John in the water in the Jordan. So now this is another baptism to undergo. And how distressed I am until it is completed. Do you think I have come to bring priests on earth? No, I tell you, but division. And so Jesus is talking about this other baptism, this baptism of what he needs to accomplish. He's talking about his death and the cross. He's talking about committing himself to something. It is a baptism of the will. Remember, did Jesus want to go to the cross? Well, he struggled. Remember, he wanted to be obedient. Not my will, but thy will be done. But he said, Father, if possible, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And you see, he's talking about a baptism of the will, a determination that I am going to be immersed in what God wants me to do. And so we're talking about being immersed in this. Let's turn to one more example in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1 and 2. Paul gives another example and he says, 1 Corinthians 10, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses. Baptized into Moses. Now, Moses is a symbolic leader just like Jesus. He was a savior of the people. He was a leader and savior. He was baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. So he's talking about a, a baptism that they were committed to follow after Moses. And because they were obedient to him, they were all under the cloud. They drank the same spiritual food or spiritual water and, and the food, just like Jesus. And so it is a, a baptism, it is a commitment of the will. Back to Romans. Because this is important that we understand what Paul is trying to say here. Don't you know that all who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? The baptism of your will, it meant unto death. It marked the end of that old life. Put, finished. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death 
in order that Christ raised from the dead through the glory of God, we too may live a new life. Mark those words, a new life. Because what God wants to do is give us new life. And it happens by recognizing first the need to die. By recognizing the death of our own will that needs to take place and our commitment of the will to live for God. Baptized unto his death. Immersed, identifying, recognizing that death is symbolic of our own lives dying with him so that we can be raised with him in a new life. You know, I was trying to think of an example of committed will and how it affects a person's life. And I thought of my son, Samuel, when he went into the Marine Corps. He went into boot camp. And after boot camp, he came out a changed man. All of a sudden, he was concerned about how he dressed. For 25 years, we couldn't get him to worry about how he dressed. All of a sudden, the Marine Corps comes out and... and he was saying, oh, I can't wear those pants. They're too baggy. Oh, no, if it's got a hole in it, I can't do that. And he had this list of things that he could not do. He goes, I better get a haircut. My hair's getting a little long, you know, because if, you know, some CEO sees me, you know, I'll get in trouble. And I'm like, who are you? What have you done with my son? You know, <laughs> what's going on here? And you see, what happened is he was, in a sense, baptized in the Marine Corps. He was committed to that way of living that they had indoctrinated him. This is now what you live by. This is the standard that you live by. You follow this rule, this creed, and you have to live this way. And he said, oh, okay. I'm going to now put away that guy who used to wear his pants real low, you know, and used to have the baggy clothes. That person is done. The new person is following the rules and the regulations from the Marine Corps. In a sense, he was baptized by that way of thinking to see this new person come out. And you see, when his will was committed to follow this new thinking, it affected his life so that now I've got a son who dresses nice. <laughs> Why? Because he was committed to following after this. He was determined. He, his mind was set on this. Are our minds set on living in a new life that Christ has given to us? Do we recognize that that other person is dead? And that we identify with that? He, he goes on and he, he brings this out a little bit further in verses 5 through 7. He says, If... We have been united with him like this in his death. We will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, who wants to be freed from sin? Who wants a new life? Who wants to see that old sinful person dead? Anyone in here? Can I get a witness? I mean, yeah, 
We want that. How now do we get that? Well, he's saying here that we have to, once again, recognize who we're united with. You know, a dead person doesn't sin. Sometimes when I do the training, the dog training, I'll go into these homes that are incredible. I mean, they've got these huge marble floors and this st dual stairways that go up, you know, and this cathedral ceiling. And I look in there and, and I get a little covetousness. You know, I think, oh, I'd like to live here. And you walk out into the patio and there's the ocean, you know, and you're going, oh. <laughs> And you console yourself and say, well, they're not happy. Uh, <laughs> I hope. <you> know. <laughs> and you just think, oh, gosh, it'd be so nice to live here. But, you know, if I brought a dead person in with me, that'd be weird. But if I did and they were there, they wouldn't care about the view. They wouldn't care about the tile floors or the cathedral ceilings, they wouldn't care. Dead person doesn't covet. Dead person isn't tempted to lust. If a beautiful girl walked by in a bikini, they wouldn't turn their head. <laughs> <laughs> They're dead. They can't. And what Paul wants us to understand that there is a part of our lives that needs to die. That part that's coveting, that part that's lusting, that part that's tempted towards those things. We need to unite ourselves with Jesus' death on the cross so that those things do not affect us. Why? Because I am united with his death. And when we're united with his death, there's a benefit that comes out. We'll also be united with his resurrection. It's important to t recognize that when Paul is writing this, it's not a future thing. It's something that's supposed to take place in our lives now. We're supposed to recognize, unite ourselves with his death now so that we are not affected by that sinful life and we're also to enjoy the benefits of that resurrected life now. It's not like, oh gosh, I'm just dead, I can't live. Hardly wait till this body, you know, is buried and gone and I get to go to the by and by and get to heaven. No, you, you have the opportunity to live a new life now, a resurrected life now. Why? Because that old life is dead. It's been crucified. You identify with Christ. That's why he died. I put my faith in what he's done. I am dead with him. I can now enjoy a new life with him. A resurrected life. A life that is free from sin. Now, if you're like me, you're saying, okay, I want a life that's free from sin, but if I'm going to be honest with everyone here, I still sin. I still fail. I still fall short. So what do you mean a life freed from sin? 
it's important to recognize once again what Paul has been telling us all along that we are justified by faith that even though I stumble and even though I fall that I am right in the eyes of God and God is still carrying me in this new life he's still developing me Philippians 1 6 he began a good work he's going to perform that work until he comes for me and there's a difference between a life that is doesn't sin and a life that is free from sin you see before sin was our life it's where we lived it's how we lived but now something has changed we've been given his spirit we have new life within us and now we have a conscious of those things we have a spirit who who convicts us of those things and we have a desire not to live in those things anymore that was my old self I don't want to be that person I don't want to do those things I want to live in the new life that's identified with Christ and so we have this change that is taking place with us within us and Paul's going to bring that to a real head in chapter 7 when he says it's no longer I but sin that dwells in me but that's later on and so there is this battle that's going on but you see you are not a captive of sin in other words it does not have hold of your life it does not have claim to your life you are not under its rule anymore the rule of Adam and the Adamic nature you are not under that rule you are now under the rule of Christ because you have died with him identified with him and now you live in this new life and so even though you stumble even though you fall sin doesn't have its nasty grip on your life it can't drag you down it can't take you down it will not take you to hell it can't because you identified with Jesus have trusted in the work that he's done on the cross and now have a newness of life man that's great news because I don't have to give in to that nature I am not sold under that I have been set free and that work is still taking place in me still changing within me but as it says in verse 6 it does not have power over me it's done away with and that word those words done away with means rendered powerless it's not destroyed but it's like numb it's like novocaine it doesn't have the ability to to really act it's been rendered powerless and so now we are freed from those effects of sin verse 80 says now if we died with Christ we believe that we will also live with him for we know that since Christ was raised from the dead he cannot die again death no longer has mastery over him the death he died he died to sin once for all but the life he lives, he lives to God. He died, it was done once for all, and now the life he lives, he lives to God. Remember, this is identifying who we are with him. We are connected to Jesus. This is the life that we now enjoy as well. He goes on and he says in verse 11, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God 
as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. In the same way, what, what is he talking about? Well, in the same way that Jesus died once for all and is done with that and now is living a life for God, in that way, count yourselves. It's important to recognize how many times there is the responsibility that we have in this. You see, count yourselves dead. That's something we have to do. In verse 16, or verse 12, he says, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. That, that's your job. Don't let that happen. Verse 13, do not offer the parts of your body to sin. Verse 16, it says, you know that when you offer yourselves, it, verse 19, so now offer them. You have to do this. You have to count, and that word count or the King James, it says reckon, but we don't really use the word reckon like that. It's kind of a you know, Texan word. I reckon, you know, but that's not what it's about. It, it means it's kind of an accounting term. This is how you need to see this. Count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God. See yourself in that way. Make that so in your life. And then you, you yield your members to either instruments of sin or, or of righteousness. You know, if I were to go out in my garage and I was able to find a hammer, <laughs> I know there is one there, if I was able to find it, that hammer could be used for construction or destruction. It, it's a tool. When we did some work here on the house, all the boys got a hammer for destruction. They all pounded on the walls, you know, took off the stucco. We all tore the places apart. But it can also be used for construction, where you can actually build something. And if I, I hit the nail on the head, I can actually construct something and make something useful. Our lives are that way. Our lives can either be constructive or destructive. Think of David. Took a stone sling, fell Goliath, was used by God. It was an instrument in his hands. The same hands took Bathsheba, committed adultery. Instruments that can be either used for righteousness or unrighteousness. Our lives can, can give either glory to God or can bring destruction and dishonor. And Paul is telling us, don't let sin have control over your body. Don't let it reign. What do you do? Yield your body to things that are constructive. A lot of times we want to know, how do I stop doing something? And we so focus on what we don't want to do, we end up going towards it. Have you ever noticed that with kids? Don't touch the lamp. What do they do? They go right for the lamp. You know, it's like, 
why do you, oh, you told me not to touch it, now my focus is on it. And that's what you go for. If I told you, don't think of the color yellow. Too late. You all just thought of the, you all just thought yellow. Oh, no. You see, instead of saying, don't think of the color yellow, if I tell you, think of the color blue. Think of the color red. Think of the color turquoise. Chartreuse. I don't know. All these other colors. Well, what you're doing is I'm saying red, blue, green. You're not thinking of yellow. Your mind is going somewhere else. And instead of trying, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do this, start being constructive. Yield your members to instruments of righteousness. What would you do if you, you've got a, a problem with say, drinking, and you're going into a bar, what would you do if instead of walking into that bar, you say, God, just bless my steps right now. Take this, my hands, take my feet, and lead them where you want me to go, God. If you would sit down and pray, God, I want to yield myself to you right now. As I go into this bar, God, wait a second. If I'm going to pray that, I've got a problem. I can't have you lead my steps, Lord, and then walk into this place. But if I pray, God, lead my steps, guide me somewhere, and I have in mind service to God and what I'm going to do, then God can lead me somewhere. What if, you know, you're dating and your boyfriend and girlfriend and you go out on a date and you're alone? And there's potential for passion to, to increase and you to stumble and fall. What if instead you said, Lord, I pray that you would take our minds and our thoughts and my hands and my body and that you would allow it to be an instrument of righteousness for you. See, what you're trying to do now is instead of, oh, God, don't let me fall, don't let me fall, oh, you know, and there I am. It's like, God, help me to do what's right. Help me to live what's right. Let me move in the right direction. May my hands honor you. May my mind honor you. May my steps honor you. God, I want my life to be of purpose for righteousness and not for that of destruction. I need to count those things and not let sin reign in my mortal body so that I would obey its evil desires. I don't want to offer my body to sin and instruments of wickedness, but rather to offer them to God, to be used by him for righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. Verse 15, it says, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you, were, though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Slaves to righteousness. Whoever you offer yourself to, that's who you're going to be a slave to. Jesus said you can't serve to two masters. You will either love the one and hate the other. You will cleave to one and resist the other. 
You can't serve God and money or the world. Who are you going to yield yourselves to? And it's interesting here because he gives us responsibility, but then he says, thank God. In other words, God does his part, but we do our part. It's kind of like taking out the garbage. You know, it's amazing. Once a week, the trash people come by here, and they will come to my house and take my garbage. It's a wonderful thing. But what they will not do is come into my backyard and get the trash cans and take them down. I have to take the trash cans down to the street. If I take the trash can down to the street, the garbage man is faithful to pick up my trash and to take it out. I need to at least get it down to the street so that he can get it out of the place. I do my part. They do their part. Same thing with God. You do your part. God has done his part. Don't surrender yourself and become a slave to sin. Don't allow it to reign in your body. You do what you can. God will do what he can. And that's what we need to recognize that whoever you're going to be a slave to, you're going to be obey. You know, what happens to us is we want the garbage out, but sometimes we don't want it all out. We like hand, hanging on to some of that garbage. It's like, okay, God, you can take this garbage out, but I'm going to hang on to this garbage here. And I'm going to stow it away. I'm going to put it in the closet where no one can see it. Hide it under the pillow. They go, that's silly. Why do you have garbage under your pillow? That's stupid. Why would you want to keep any garbage at all? But we don't take it down to the street. We, we keep it in our lives. And God's saying, I'll take whatever garbage you'll give me, but if you hang on to it, that garbage stays a part of your life, and it pollutes your life, and it contaminates you. My grandmother, when she was kind of dealing with Alzheimer's and, and mentally she was kind of losing it. When we had to move her from one place to another, we found all these packets of sweetened though under her pillow. Remember that? It was like, like, why are these here? Is someone coming to steal your sweetened low? It made no sense, but she, for some reason, she thought, I'm going to take this that's there every day when I go down to eat lunch at the place. Whenever I want to, it's available, but I'm going to take it and I'm going to hide it under my pillow. And it's like, why are you hiding something? And God's wanting to take all the stuff that we hide, all the garbage in our lives. He says, if you take it down to the street, I'll get rid of it for you. Don't let it rain in your life. Come into the house. What is that? What's that smell? the garbage I'm hiding. And sometimes our lives are like that. Man, something's not right in my life. I just got this stuff going on and the Lord's saying, yeah, there's some garbage we need to, we need to clean out. If you'll let me, let me clean that stuff out. And I love this because you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Once again, recognize what he's done. 
Jesus said, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Paul wrote to Titus in chapter 2, verse 14, who gave himself for us, speaking of Jesus, to, free, to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. You see, he took the penalty of sin to redeem us from that. He, he bought us back. That's what the word redeem means. He redeemed us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people. To purify something, it's a process. And I always think of a water filter. If you've got dirty water, you, you pour it through this filter, and it's a process. It filters out all the carbons and dirt and whatever's in there and produces something pure. Well, he is purifying for himself a people that are eager to do what is good. Are you one of those people? Are you eager to do what is good? Has God bought you back and you're allowing him to purify you? In Hebrews 8.10, it says, that is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. This is the potential. This is what God has made available to us if we will surrender ourselves to him, if we will yield our members to him, that we will be slaves of righteousness, that he will purify us, that even though we fall, even though we stumble in sin, we are not bound by it. It does not have hold of us. Our lives are moving forward in continual growth towards the Lord. I'm not what I should be, but thank God I'm not what I used to be. And that should be something that constantly happens in our lives. I'm constantly moving forward in this life because I don't want to stay the same person. I want to be purified. I want to be changed. I want this new life that God has to give me, a life that is connected with him in the resurrection and power that he gives. Do your part. Don't let sin reign in your life. Get rid of the stuff. Get rid of the garbage. Throw it out. Let him take it. so that you wouldn't be a slave, but set free from that stuff and become instead a slave of righteousness. Wouldn't it be great to be able to say, I can't help it. That's what I have to do. Why? Because I'm a slave to it. I have chosen to be a slave to it. It is my decision. In a very real sense, I am a, a slave to my wife. She says, not my bun. If you're a real slave, this house would have been cleaned earlier. I have chosen that I will live my life with her for the rest of my life. I want to be a slave to that. that that's who I belong to in that sense. It's a choice that I have that I am committed to this. I am a slave to God. It's a choice I've made. It's something I want to do. But I have the option. I have to surrender myself. I have to not allow these other things to reign or have control over me. I have to continually set my mind on those things, set my affections on those things. 
and not allow the other things to come in, not keep the garbage there, but take it out every week, every day, throughout my lives, so that I can live a life that's pleasing to God. Why don't we stop there? We'll, we'll finish the last portion of chapter 6, which is powerful as we talk about the wages of sin, but the gift of God through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would grasp hold of these things that you've given to us in Scripture. What our lives could be if they were yielded to you, that if we would do our part and recognize what you have already done, Lord, you can transform us, you can purify us, and Lord, you give us new life, a resurrected life, a life that is connected to you, who is the author of life. Lord, I know that's what we want. I know that's what we desire. May we then set our affections on those things. May we start applying our lives to, to live in a way that is constructive, that is building up our character with you, that is investing in eternal things, that is moving in your direction, May we recognize that we do not have to be bound any longer. That whatever habits that we've had and developed in the past, whatever problems we've been raised or brought up into home-wise or abuse-wise, whatever our history involves, that we are not slaves to that. Lord, you have set us free. That we are not under that bondage. We are dead to those things. They have no claim on our lives anymore. And I pray that we would all recognize that so that we would have the freedom to live this new life and make ourselves slaves to you. Lord, it's what we desire and it is what is best for us. I pray you would help us in this walk, continue to purify our lives, Lord as we entrust ourselves to you. We do ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.